save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Got like 10 things going on here. Got, so QuickTime's going. I just adjusted the Zoom volume and uh, I'm downloading. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to watch this Philip K. Dick movie while, you're, while I'm waiting for you. Oh, the video the uploader has not made this video available in your country. I love this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they show me an ad. <laughs> That always comes through. Like I don't know if you've ever seen like streaming stuff where the stream of the actual content you want to watch is kind of janky. But a boy, oh boy, is every single ad is at full, you know, four K quality. Welcome to SpotCast, episode six. My name is Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we're also graced with the presence of Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. I'm back! Our fact checker extraordinaire. All righty then. Um, so do you want to, let's do some fact checking, Jonathan. How do you feel about that? We'll do episode three from uh, SpotCast. Absolutely. We'll dive right into our uh, clarifications and corrections and maybe a little criticism here and there. Uh, nine minutes in episode three diana moldor played Catherine pulaski dr Catherine pulaski on star trek next generation discussion about her name in the episode yeah 1314 alicia vikander won the 2016 oscar for best supporting actress for her performance in the danish girl uh, i think you guys maybe thought she was for ex machina uh, yeah we weren't sure yeah 1730 the punisher was introduced to the marvel cinematic universe in season two of the daredevil tv series on netflix and was the main focus of that story so he was uh uh, definitely front and center there. Mm-hmm. 1738, John Bernthal is the star of The Punisher, and he also played Shane on the first two seasons of The Walking Dead. So he was that guy from The Walking Dead. He was that guy from The Walking Dead, absolutely. Uh, 2218, the competing Volcano movies uh, both hit theaters in 1997. They were Dante's Peak, starring Pierce Brosnan, and Volcano, starring Tommy Lee Jones. All right. Uh, both of them clearly made an impression on both of you. Uh, 2710, The Naked Sun, is the second book of uh, Isaac Asimov's Robot Trilogy, published in 1957. Tim was, uh, couldn't, couldn't quite pull that one uh, out of his magic hat. Uh, 2806, Jason Isaacs plays the captain on Star Trek Discovery. I'm sure you guys have that one locked in by now. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. 2943, the original Star Trek TV series aired for three seasons before being cancelled. Uh, season 1 had 29 episodes, season 2 had 26, and season 3 had 24 for a total of 79 or 80 if you count the double episodes as two parts, a debate which can incite nerds to brawl at a Trek convention. 3719, Marina Baccarin, one of the stars of Firefly, went on to star in the reboot of V. She was on Homeland and Gotham, and she, of course, was uh, Deadpool's girlfriend in Deadpool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 4021, Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones is played by Lena Headey. Uh, she also starred in Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. 4344, Justin Long played Brandon in Galaxy Quest. That's the... Uh, the Mac guy. The yeah, Mac, the Mac guy, guy. Yeah. One of the, he was one of the mega fans who helped save the day 
Day. Uh, he also starred in a series of commercials for Apple. And uh, he was also in Kevin Smith's really bizarre but compelling film Tusk. Uh, Which I still haven't seen yet. Wherein he is dressed up as a human walrus. Very weird, but actually surprisingly entertaining film. Uh, 4423, documentary near, uh, directed by Leonard Nimoy's son, Adam, is called For the Love of Spock. And it's on Netflix now, I believe. Yep. Uh, 4650, Galaxy Quest, made about $90 million at the box office of a budget of $45 million and scored 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. So by any measure, a pretty successful flick. Uh, 11633, uh, what? And if you own a copy of a movie you love, then they can't change it on you. It's yours until the playback device snuffs it. You guys were talking about uh, whether or not it was good to own something or, uh, you know, what, yeah, or whether you could download it or, you know, if uh, people going back and making changes like uh, Mr. Spielberg, Mr. Lucas, uh, going back and changing films. Of course, uh, my view is that uh, I, I have the original Star Treks. You have the original Star Wars. We try and hold on to these things because you just never know what's going to happen. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and, and that said, I mean, like I have to eat my own hat because I did say last week that the director's cut of Blade Runner is probably the best version that I've seen so far, right? That's true. It's true. Yeah. And actually, uh, we, so we were, I may sort of mention that there's like 17 versions of Blade Runner. And it's interesting because one of the versions of Blade Runner that, that is on the disc set that you have is is the what they call the, the European or German re- release. And as Carol explained it to me, and I think this is in the director's cut too, is the part where uh, Richter Howard's character is squishing um, the guy who made the... Uh, Tyrell. Tyrell. Mr. Tyrell's head. On the American one, you just see him like squishing the head. But on, on the, the uh, German version, you see spoilers. You see the uh, his thumbs going into the guy's eyes and blood pouring out, right? So Because, you know, they, they as Carol said, they need to see that stuff in over there <laughs> to make it worthwhile. Anywho. Alrighty. Well, it leads us into our follow-up, which is actually about Blade Runner. We're going to try and... So Jaime hasn't seen Blade Runner, as we'd established before mm-hmm. the, before we started recording. But Jonathan and I both went last Thursday, bef- you know, the day before it officially opened and saw it, 20, Blade Runner 2049. Um, and so I wrote I wrote down, here, wrote down here in terms of my notes, um, it's a long movie. It's It was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. I just kept looking at my watch going, is this still going on? And um, I think it will require multiple viewings, at least for me anyway. Um, I found it to be implausible central plot, but they made it plausible, if you can follow that logic, right? And it kind of leaves at least some loose ends that could lead to possibly a future sequel movie or even a TV spinoff, you know, Ella, you know, uh, the Planet of the Apes movie that came to TV for a few weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, but and it had if you if you're a fan of the show, it sort of did have some throwbacks to a lot of lot of reflections of the original movie. But we were also talking before the, before the uh, podcast recording that um, I do think it stands on its own, like as as a movie. If you have not seen the original movie, I don't think the original movie is is required viewing to really sort of enjoy this movie it's it's quite quite good from that point of view visually stunning you know the soundtrack i think the original soundtrack from the original movie was was far better but uh i'm not sure was this one done by uh this wasn't done by evangelisa's uh soundtrack jonathan uh, you know what i will double check that while we have our conversation all right and i found that it's funny in the in the trailer mackenzie davis who was stars in she was in the martian and she was also in um a halt and catch fire she plays um one of the main characters there uh who has a name but i can't remember <laughs> but anyway so she is in my mind very reflective of daryl hannah when i first saw the the, the trailer i had to go back and go oh wait was that daryl hannah because daryl hannah's uh character is uh doesn't survive the first movie so which was, but very interesting that they chose an actor who looks very much like her at that point in in her career as well right so i'm guessing you're talking about cameron from Halton cameron, yes, yeah because yeah, the other yeah. main character it could have been was 
Donna, but given that description of Daryl Hannah, I would guess Cameron. Well, Mackenzie Davis is her name. She's a Canadian actress, Canadian, of course, and uh, she's <laughs> she's in the she's a key character in The Martian too. She's a, the computer geek that figures figures things out. So this at least she didn't play a computer geek in this movie. Uh, oh, is that a, a spoiler? I don't know. Help me now. Okay, yeah, some interesting some interesting things. What do you, what do you think, Jonathan? Without trying to spoil the movie for Jaime, yeah, I, I agree with pretty much uh, everything you said there. I mean, I think you know these are no-win situations for any filmmaker i mean you know how do you fi- how do you follow something that's so iconic in science fiction i mean this movie in 1982 led to so many iterations of that dystopian dark you know noir sci-fi genre uh you know it really was a seminal film and to go back you know 35 years later and tackle it um you were you know you're in for a really tough time but that being said i think you know choosing uh yet another canadian denny arcan to do this you know somebody who has a vision i mean we saw that with arrival last year a really terrific film um you know very i found those two films to be very alike in that it's moody its pace is really measured you know so many science fiction movies now especially because of the constraints of time are so bombastic there's so much going on they're you know they're hooking you they're taking you for a ride this movie was so slow and stayed and really just built itself up it took its time through scenes they let the visuals tell the story there was long pauses with no dialogue that really just let you soak it all in i i I found it really compelling i I enjoyed it i think more than I, i i went in with the same feeling i go into anytime they bring anything back when they bring back you know star Star Wars or Star Trek or anything else, I go in with a really apprehensive boy. Oh, I really hope they don't screw this up, and and they they didn't, in my opinion. I think this was great. Yeah, and coming back to what you said about uh, Ridley Scott, I mean, I think that he had done Alien just before this, or or a few movies before this, right? And yeah. Aliens, where he sort of established a really sort of dark, you know, mm-hmm. haunting sort of horror style of of sci-fi. You know, before that, everything sci-fi was clean and polished, and there was no dust, and you know, like there were there were no Roombas running around either. But somebody was polishing things while people were sleeping. Whereas Alien, I think, was one of the first movies where everything was kind of like broken down. And I mean, at Star Wars, to a certain extent, it was like that too, right? Everything was broken down and dusty and dirty and, you know, you know, steam coming out of things that shouldn't be coming out of. And um, so he established that thing. And, and, and if you haven't seen Blade Runner, you have seen Blade Runner from the point of look and feel and, and emotion because, or, or you know, uh, I mean, emotion as you get from a scene because that kind of um, vision has been reflected in a lot of other sci-fi movies. Like I can think of uh, Killjoys or, or dark matter fifth element shows like that have fifth element is another one yeah where everything's kind of like it's kind of like metropolis and technology and dirt and filth and grime and all that sort of thrown into one place and it all came from that original movie uh blade runner you know with the constant rain and really sets the atmosphere and and denny arcan has reflected that sensibility and taken it up a notch i think actually in in successfully too in in the the new blade runner 2049 as well so and uh sorry we've got uh i've got your details for you here Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish made the uh, soundtrack for this. Uh, oh, okay, Zimmer, right. of course, has been uh, doing conic film soundtracks for a few years now. So. Right. So moving on, I guess a couple of other follow-up items here. Um, I posted. Uh, jo- uh, this is following up to Jaime's post about the film noir of uh, of Blade Runner, or it's being compared to film noir movies from last week from episode five. Um, I 
was reminded when he showed that to me or when I watched it that uh, there's a there's a guy I've been following on uh YouTube called Nerd Writer Nerd Writer 1 his name is Evan Hushchak um but he he does these little uh essays kind of Ken Burns-esque kind of uh, or um sort of uh oh what's the uh what's the name of that guy oh man Canadian guy again who does all the the interesting books um really fuzzy afro hair guy um Malcolm Gladwell Malcolm Gladwell thank you that very reminiscent of Malcolm Gladwell's sort of narrative style. He goes, he breaks down things. And I, I don't think it was the Blade Runner movie per se that first got me into the nerd runner, nerd writer, but he does, he breaks down like how does Steely Dan write a song? How does, you know, the Rolling Stones make him you know, do this? How does, what is Blade Runner reflective of um, modern society or future societies? And like that. they're really, really good to watch. And uh, I, I really recommend that you check out the nerd writer one and specifically this one, if you're into Blade Runner, but just you can pick just about any one of his his uh, videos and just watch it and it's like you know it's like a five to ten minute essay on something and it, they're not always about movies they're not always about you know books or whatever but it's kind of interesting stuff right so and just one real quick one here we talked about the director's cut and it's interesting I was reading through some some notes um, probably in IMDb that the term director's cut was actually invented by to describe Ridley Scott's redo in 1992 of Blade Runner from 1982 right. Um, and uh, so that's kind of interesting that, that, you know, we always talk about director's track cut and, you know, I'm, I've been going on about how I, I'm not, a, I, I appreciate what George Lucas was trying to do, but I don't appreciate what he did to the, the movies that I love, which are Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, but director's cut came from, Ridley, from, from Blade Runner, surprisingly. And uh, also that Hampton uh, Fancher, one of the screenwriters of the original story, original movie, also is one of the screenwriters in this new uh, redo of uh, Blade Runner as well. So... Yeah, I think uh, the director's cut is kind of an interesting thing because I didn't realize it was uh, simultaneously that old and that new. And it kind of makes sense that something as popular as a Blade Runner and a director with as much clout as a Ridley Scott would be able to push that sort of thing. Like, hey, we're going to have this other um, other version of the movie. And I guess it coincides kind of nicely with being able to you know put it back in theaters or sell new copies of the movie that uh, yeah. I don't think would have been as common back then. And, and certainly it's a lot more common now to have like like they already pre-planned these things, right? You'll see like, oh, uh, available on iTunes, uh, Justice League. And then, you know, a few months later, oh, Justice League Ultimate Edition with 34 more minutes. And it's got, you know, a couple of extras and so on and so forth. So it's definitely was a different world back then. Right. Well, it, it, but but to, to counter your point, though, I don't think he did have that much clout because if you remember the, the studio made him go in and put a happy ending at the, in the end of the movie and also have the voiceover part where Harrison Ford had to come back in and, re, you know, read the voiceover over parts to sort of explain what the story was about and and uh you know i think a lot of people will say the director's cut without the narration is a much better movie and without the happy ending at the end right um I th- it, same thing happened to brazil with uh, terry gilliam he had, he fought the studio for a long long time uh, to try and get them to release the movie he way the way he wanted it done right and and he stood his ground but he he kind of won the day at the end of it but um the and and i mentioned that you know it's, it was kind of a novelty to kind of search for this after the director's cut 
came out because you really couldn't find copies of the original um, v- version with narration. This, you know, the theatrical release as it's known now. But um, it's on that box set that that uh, that I think I have a DVD. Jonathan has the Blu-rays, right? And uh, yours has the seven. I have six or something like that, or five or however many movies there are. Um, but it's an interesting term, director's cut. I mean, they even went back and redid Apocalypse Now, and you know they've, they've done it to some pretty seminal movies. I mean, you know, we don't go back and make remake To Kill a Mockingbird or colorize a. Well, wow, let's not get into To Kill a Mockingbird. They kind of did a remake on that a couple of years ago. Which did they really? Well, they released the first one of the earlier drafts as uh, to set a Watchman, go set a Watchman. Uh, oh, really? Which was a New York <laughs> Times bestseller, but it it really it changed a lot of context. And it was clearly uh, an earlier work. And boy, you know, I, I had a, some reservations about that as a huge fan of Harper Lee's work. I, I, I had a real tough time with sort of taking something that was unpublished right, right. probably for a reason and, and doing right. that. Actually, I misspoke. I wasn't thinking of Taylor Mockingbird. I was thinking of the other one that uh, the... the um Oh, what's his name? Sam Spade movie. Um, Maltese Falcon. Yeah, Maltese Falcon. To Kill a Mockingbird, Maltese Falcon. You they, can see it. They're birds. Right? I got it. I'm with you. They're black and white movies. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Okay. They're old. Yeah. It's, it's a funny thing about the Blade Runner movie, too, because they, you know, in the same way that we all kind of turned our back on 1966 Batman when 1989 Batman came along, a lot of people sort of turned on the original cut of Blade Runner after the director's cut came out there and it was a little more yeah. graphic and stuff. I, I still have a little bit of a sweet spot for that original, you know. That's the first time I saw it. That's what I saw. And, you know, I'm not, I don't feel diminished. I, I, I agree with you that, that the, the director's cut is a better version, but, uh, you know. Actually, the final cut is a better version. Yes, that's true. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. All right. Let's move on. But the last thing we should mention that, uh, somewhat follow up is the, the trailer has come out, the official trailer for Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and, uh, tickets became available. It was an ever loving mess to try to purchase them. Uh, by the time people listen to this episode, they'll probably have to be scrambling for those you know 1 p.m showings like in the middle of the day or something um but it, it's there yeah, you can go check it out it's uh it's a pretty interesting trailer i think it definitely sets the mood for for the movie and maybe in a future episode we'll we'll explore it a little bit more but uh for the time being we'll just link to it in the show notes sure yeah jonathan and i got our tickets did you get, did you get tickets yet Jaime? i did uh for like 7 p.m. on Thursday, I think. Yeah, same. I think. Well, we're 7 p.m. But and and we're not you know, dead center as we like to be. But you know, yeah, I'll, I'll live with it. We, we did get IMAX <laughs> though, so that's that's a win. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Now, is there, yeah. is your 7 p.m. the same as our 7 p.m. Jaime? I'm not sure. Uh, no, so to, uh... so this will be a pro tip for everybody out there. The East Coast will start prior to everybody else, and and I don't know. They might do like the premiere thing in London, like they did with uh, the Force Awakens. So I highly recommend people. Just just stop using the internet, at least for social media concerns that day. Well, it starts in Australia, actually, probably, right? Like, Australia gets it way before us. They're they're 12 hours ahead of us. Assuming the release date is the same, sometimes they stagger those things, but I, I, it's possible. Right. I think they got it actually before us. I regularly remember hearing from some of our friends down in... I have a few friends on one of the Slack groups I belong to that are down in Australia, and I remember them mentioning the movie <laughs> at the time. So Nice. Yeah, If you have a Slack group, you have to create a room for Star Wars to make it fair for everybody else so that you don't spill the beans in the main room mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah sort of our unwritten rule of, st- of slack all right so so we move on to uh, our discussion about the episode which one epi- episode which episode are we in here this would be uh, episode four of star trek discovery the butcher's knife right, cares no. not for the lamb's cry right and just before we jump into that i just want to make a note here that we talked about there being eight episodes before the, the break for i don't know what the break for but apparently i heard yesterday that they are going to release nine episodes before the break they 
the, the story arcs in such a way that they figured they can do nine episodes before the cliffhanger. And they've already spilled the beans. There's going to be a cliffhanger. Surprise, surprise. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting change. Um, I didn't look at the calendar to see what that change in the break is, but I guess they must have decided it was okay that it doesn't slam into like, you know, Christmas holidays sort of thing. Yeah. I didn't say what it was, but he, the, the, the it was the, uh, one of the show runners or show writers was saying this and they sort of figured that from a, from in terms of how the story arc was working, they could do nine episodes instead of eight. And, and that's, they decided to have the extra episode. So bonus for us. Uh, anyway, I just want to, before we, so a couple things I noticed from the, uh, from, and I picked these up from after track or that was called after track. Yeah. Um, so we have some new characters that we saw on the bridge during the, uh, the first run of the clone or was it called a uh, spore drive? Right. Um, we have a new character, Lieutenant Kayla Dethetmer, who's a human. She's the comm officer with the little implant on above her left eye. I played by Emily Coots. Uh, we have Commander Arim, which is an augmented alien. She looks, looks like she's wearing a, you know earphones and uh, stuff like that. Uh, she's a spore drives op- operator. Um, it's played by Sarah Mitich. Uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade uh, is somebody... I didn't get the name down. Oh, that's odd. Sorry about that. Uh, another person, another ops uh, character. And uh, Lieutenant Milton Richer, human, who's a comms officer, sort of the, takes the Uhura place, which is kind of a, a flip, flipping the tables there, I guess, played by Christopher Russell. So some notes on that. So what do you have to say about the um, about uh, the show there, honey? Episode four. It was kind of an interesting, what would you even call it? Like a, a transitional episode, perhaps? Kind of transitioning uh, away from the, the pilot or the, the both pilots, if you want to call them both that, into, okay, here's how this thing works. I mean, they, they get the spore drive working um by use of their their friend the ripper uh or ripper i guess as they they named the uh the tardigrade thing that what we've been calling uh, the kitty before um they set up some things with um the klingon side with volks uh sort of his crew and, and everything with that and oh by the way we forgot to say spoiler warning for people we're going to talk about episode four of discovery and we're going to talk about the episode five i believe of um orville so spoiler warning sorry mm-hmm. carry on yeah and it, it, it showed some interesting things to us. Like uh, it's not really like a plot point per se, but I, I found it kind of interesting that the design of the discovery and, and how different that ship is from, let's say, you know, the, the constitution class uh, enterprise that we, we've known or any of the other ones. Uh, it has that sort of weird ring thing going. And it turns out that's actually important to the way it functions when it does the, um, the spore drive jumps. It sort of like rotates parts of the ship and they sort of, um, I don't know. It kind of reminded me of the, the effect from Harry Potter when they apparate and they sort of like spin into like nothingness and uh-huh. sort of unspin uh-huh. corkscrew out the other side. Did anybody sort of get that feeling? Yeah, I think so. That was a bizarre that effect. That was uh, I, I was a little uh, caught a little off guard when the whole ship started rotating and twisting and gyrating. That was that was a very unusual mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, so <laughs> I think the, the basic premise of the of this uh, episode was that uh, Captain Lorca has said, hey, we need to be able to weaponize this thing because uh, the ripper um that we mentioned because it's got these claws that can just cut through steel like it's nothing and phasers don't do anything to it and so we can take those bits of technology and then incorporate them or uh, bits of biology and incorporate them somehow into our technology that might be yet another thing we can use for the war and so he sets uh i forget her her position but uh landry um what's her name is she that actually reka sharma yeah yeah okay cool sorry i'm also reading the notes and michael burnham to you know try to discover what's going on with this thing and uh 
Michael Burnham discovers like well, to weaponize it. Well, to weaponize uh, aspects of its biology, right? Like they realize, hey, they, right. you've got this this material that its claws are made out of. You got this material that its um, like armor is made out of, and they thought maybe that would be useful, but. As it turns out, it's really kind of more like a, uh, what did they say, a tardigrade? Like those little mm-hmm. like yeah, exactly. water animals, but just like huge, huge version of that. And that it's not a predator. It, it, it just responded to things um, in a fight or flight kind of mode. And that it actually like really doesn't want to hurt anything, right? It happens to be powerful, but that's not like it's uh, you know whole reason for living. And uh, yes, <laughs> as you kind of funnily put here, uh, I'm going to call her Lieutenant because I can't remember her rank. Uh, Lieutenant Landry decides to get a little impatient patient does all sorts of bad things and ends up being mauled to death by uh, by ripper and uh, at some point here in the episode uh, i noted that they end up figuring out that all this equipment that they pulled off of the glen the uss glen the one that ran into the the troubles uh, in the previous episode um it actually has something to do with the ripper right like uh, they kind of put the right. pieces yeah. together in the episode it's like well we know these components is something that they were using but they kind of really needed this like supercomputer in order to do all these sort of calculations that somehow tell you how you can navigate the uh, what do you call it like a spore web spore network yeah. for lack of a better term yeah. mm-hmm. um then michael burnham figures out like wait a minute like this thing was freaking out when we started using the spores maybe there's some sort of connection and, and through a couple of different series she figures out that oh like there actually is a, a biological connection between the spores and the tardigrade and they i guess realize like, wait a minute these little like arm thingies that they were hanging on to for their spore drive maybe they can use those as a way to sort of trigger the sort of calculation that they might want from the, the creature and, and they do right they sort of put it in like this i don't know it's like a harness that looks like it's like poking it with pain sticks or something it was really unclear to me what was happening but it didn't look, it didn't look comfortable that's for sure uh and it does allow them to do successful jumps which they really desperately needed because i i think we move right past this point but uh around this time they get a message from a starfleet admiral saying hey uh this dilithium processing um center mining center i forget what they called it is under attack by the klingons and oh by the way that has like 40 percent of our output so we're going to be hosed in this war if the klingons take over that outpost so they need somebody and um surprise surprise the discovery is like the only one that's even vaguely close to, to help defend that thing so uh that was sort of like the, the main thrust and setup for trying to discover how they could deal with uh the spore drive and also uh the tardigrade at the same time yeah so of course you know Rekka gets damaged and they rush her off to sick bay the beamer to sick bay actually which i don't remember them doing on the original series either but um and I just love the fact that the sound of the sick bay had the same sort of uh, klaxon noises that uh, McCoy's sick bay has in the original series. So another throwback there, audio clue. Um, there's some interesting things to us. Um, well, we can talk more about the episode. So, what do you think? I think uh, I, I think we've skipped over the most uh, interesting part of the episode, which I, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm not a fan so far of the new style of Klingon. But they ate Captain yeah. Giorgio. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back and talk about how they, yeah, they sure. ate Captain George out? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. The, the two of them were talking about it, and yeah, that's that's some grim, you know, that that's some grim Star Trek. That that might be yeah, the farthest they've yeah. pushed that boundary so far. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and it was mentioned in a throwaway line too, right? Because the the premise for the Klingon side of the story was that after the battle, um, Vogue's ship, you know, Takuma's old ship, is sort of just left there, and, and they're damaged in such a way that they they can't. You know, move around under their own power, so they're on you know, emergency. I assume emergency power, and they're eating rations and stuff. But they're slowly starting.
starving to death. And I guess they've been sitting there for six months, given that's how long the war has been going on. And uh, I think her name is Terrell. I, I don't know if I wrote her name down correctly. Um, she's sort of the, one of the female Klingons is talking to Vogue about like, hey, the Sinjou is available and it's got a dilithium processing unit that we can use to help power our ship. And Vogue's like, no, 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 Takuvma never would have liked that because it's bringing their, the Federation in this case, impurity into our, you know, purity of, of Klingon hood, Klingon dumb. And she's like, dude, look, it doesn't matter if we're dead, right? Like that's, it's not, it's not practical to, to go that far with it. Um, and, and she throws that, you know, throwaway line of like, oh, you, you didn't really consider that impure when we, you know, when you pick the, the flesh or, or, or bones or something from the captain, you know, referencing yeah. George Alice. So it was like skull. I think he's, yeah. Bones off her skull. Yeah. Peeling her skull. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Meat, meat off her skull. Yes. Oh my, what an image. Yeah. <laughs> in a throwaway, a throwaway line, we learned that one of the characters that we saw in the premiere was, uh, eaten apparently by the Klingons. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty, uh, that might be the all time ignominious end for a Star Trek character. They, they had some pretty bad deaths of those red shirts, but getting shot and eaten by, uh, by the nouveau Klingons. Wow. That's grim. Right. Right. Um, reminds me of this, this, the, uh, Twilight Zone episode to serve man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess to recap yeah. that part of the, the Klingon story, uh, eventually Terrell convinces Voke that they should go over to the Senjo. They go over, they take the dilithium processing unit out, but when they return to the ship, the, one of the other Klingons, and I forget his name. I didn't, I didn't write it down. I didn't catch it, but the one who clearly didn't like Takuvma and didn't believe in any of that, um, you know, any of what he was selling has not only come on board, uh, that ship, but has also, uh, apparently brought rations to get the crew to essentially mutiny and, and join his own, um, sort of clan rather than rolling around with, uh, the remnants of Takuma's, uh, sort of like religious sect. And they were going to kill him, the, uh, Voke in this case I was talking about, but Terrell tells him, well, it would actually be, uh, more of a fitting end if we were to leave him to die on the Senjo. And so they, they send him mm-hmm. over there to ostensibly die and the ship warps away. Uh, the, the, I forget what that ship was called, but you know, Takuma's old ship, um, and who should be there. But Terrell has, has apparently taken some sort of shuttlecraft or something to, and, and, you know, scuttled away to go, uh, be with Voke. And she's like, Hey, um, uh, my clan, the Mokai clan, uh, we got a way that we can help you, but it will require this grand sacrifice of, of yourself in order to, to get the, I don't know, the power, glory, whatever it may be that he will need in the future to bring the Klingons together. That's sort of the end of the, of their storyline for uh, this particular episode. Yep. Apparently our bad guy, uh, our bad guy Klingon, uh, who is now in charge again is Cole, K-O-L, Cole. Yeah. Cole, right. And, right. and Laurel, L apostrophe R-E-L-L, Laurel. Laurel. Laurel was her name? Okay. Laurel, yes. We'll okay, so I definitely one. wrote it wrong in my notes. Yeah. That's okay. You could be forgiven because uh, those those scenes, boy, they, they, that's the part of the episode that are still struggling through, man. Wow. I mean, I get that there's probably like a hundred guys in their mom's basement who are really excited that they're doing the whole scene for like 15 minutes an episode in full Klingon, but wow, those are hard watches. Uh, like I said, I'm waiting for the Universal Translator to come be invented. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. why they can't do the uh, Christopher Lloyd circa Star Trek 3 where they just zoom in and all of a sudden he's speaking a different language, you know? Right, right. I, I get it. You're, you're, I, I assume they're speaking Klingon if there's they are 
Klingons on a Klingon ship. I, I don't I don't need to have that much grunting and slivering. Yeah, one of my favorite movies is you know the 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 Thirteen Warrior Thirteenth Warrior or something like that. Thirteen Warriors, where they're talking. I think they're Vikings, and there's one guy. He's from um, the Middle East, and he's joined them to go on this big quest. And somewhere in the middle, like you know, they're off on the first part of the journey, and and he's just kind of learning their language. And one day, all just in the middle of the scene, they start speaking English, which is to to signify that he now understands what they're saying, right? And I thought that was really well done the way they did that in in that particular movie, right? Yeah. So they could they could certainly do that here, like you said, they start off in Klingon and then switch to English as the camera you know focuses in on them. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like I was being cheated, I, and it would never occur to me that, or I would never take it for granted. They were like, well, of course we learned how to speak uh, the language of our hated enemies for the scene, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. That's not to say that that we'll be speaking English in two hundred years, right? Yeah, I think Firefly was a little closer, where it's a it's a mishmash, mishmash. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Can I? Uh, have you guys had a chance to uh, to partake of the social media in the last couple of days after uh, episode four? No, what was the reaction? Yeah, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen um, social media reaction to it. There was uh, there was a, a fair bit of backlash on. Uh, I noticed it on Monday uh, over the fact that uh, in four episodes they've managed to kill two minority characters and two women. Oh really? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was uh, the um, Asian South Asian Star Trek fandom was was perhaps justifiably up in arms over the fact that uh, I mean, there's the old trope of killing women in science fiction, which is you know yes, that that's absolutely fair. But uh, the fact that they they chose to have uh, you know women who aren't necessarily uh, you know North American white women uh, in some of these prominent roles and then killed two of them in in you know within three uh, two episodes of each other. Uh, definitely got a lot of backlash and uh and a lot of people were you know oh it's great we finally see an indian woman represent oh she's dead oh asian she's the yeah, captain yeah. oh it's oh she's dead so uh yeah i think uh i think there was a little little bit of a storm brewing on that one where uh, you know some people were you know uh very blunt about their opinions on where that plot has gone so far so uh we'll see and the other thing that i really thought was great to see was uh you know two gay characters you know we're set up for our first uh gay coupling in star trek we have the uh, mm-hmm. the head of engineering and our our new doctor so making a little bit of progress there and one two two steps back and one step forward that's that's good yeah that's <laughs> I, I think i've seen I, I guess i didn't see the social media reaction um but i i saw the reaction to the reaction i guess um on, on some website i was reading some link where uh, i guess the showrunners are explaining that uh landry's character was originally written to be a white male and for reasons that are a little bit unclear to me they say oh well we found this actress why don't we have her play that role i mean on the one hand that's great it's like hey great you know you you added some diversity to the cast but on the other you think they'd have somebody sitting there saying wait a minute are we adding a minority and then we're killing them off immediately like that makes yeah, it worse the second time in two episodes. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's that's just unfortunate timing yeah it's definitely it's definitely a bummer like i think uh, from the diversity standpoint there's only so far you can go on having um you know a main character be a minority and then also having another uh, main character be a minority like it's a it's going to be a tricky one to play because uh, otherwise from what i remember of the cast it's largely a, an, an all-white cast and it's something i think they should consider for for future casting hopefully uh, yeah. and, and not to like tokenize but just to say wait a minute <laughs> what are we what exactly are we doing here because you don't want that to be front and center you want the story 
agreed to be front and center. Yeah. yeah. Right. And we've gone right. from having a ship that was uh, on the Shenzhou where there was, you know, two women in the top two roles to, uh, you know, hey, we've got a, you know, onto this ship. And now we've got two males. We'll assume that the uh, first officer is male. But, but uh, yeah, we sort of flipped the, flipped the script back to the old way again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. This is a couple of, this is not a follow-up thing, but I uh, was speaking with the man, those little badges that, that uh, did you get one of those badges from um, Quantum Drive, Jaime? I haven't, and I was thinking of getting one of the pins, I think, is, uh, like the right. small enamel pin style. Well, I was chatting with the with the manufacturer, I think, I guess the guy who's in charge of deciding what they do on, on our Twitter account, and uh, he, I sort of said, as soon as I saw the black badges, I thought they would be really cool, kind of cool, and he said I, he had the same thought, so they might actually be coming out with a black badge sometime in the future so that'd be kind of cool you know the uh, special ops ones Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the polished black um and just something else to notice, you probably saw it in the, in, you probably see it in the, in the you know, opening credits, but this is NCC 1031, which is uh, kind of significant in terms of how they name the ships and stuff like that, right? And then from the after, after uh, Trek, uh, there was a short little bit on by a lady named Gersha Phillips, whose her title is Suiting and Booting, and she's in charge of making the costumes. Um, and she talked a bit about the costumes, um, the different colors, gold for command, silver for science, copper for operations, and white for medical. And um, the fabric, she said, is a, has a four-way stretch sort of thing. And um, they were asked to put the sort of gold color or the, the, the metallic panels on the sides for interest. And they wanted something that made them look like superheroes. And uh, what's interesting, too, is that uh, in the beginning of this episode, we see um, our, our hero, Michael Burnham, her cost, her uh, outfit is being made in her replicator in her room, I guess, um, for her. And apparently the replicator uh, first appeared on The Next Generation star trek so they didn't have replicators i mean they had a little you know almost like the sandwich uh, shop affair that they had in the original series but you never saw the actual food being manufactured like you do in the replicator right so that was something i was kind of wondering about and maybe we'll need some some fact checking either either live or after the fact in a future episode you're right that the replicator was a tng thing but didn't they have something called a synthesizer that sounds very similar but presumably yeah the, but they never really they didn't, they didn't have this they didn't have the special effecty kind of thing they had like a little you walked up to this this uh, thing you pushed a button and a, a door would open up like a bread box door would open up and you would pull up the tray with the food on it and that was i guess that was the there's their version of the replicator it kind of magically food would magically appear but you know yeah i, I kind of wonder if it was you know to try to reconcile you know 50 some years of, of differences i i assume in my mind that like the replicator is essentially largely magic it can rep it can create anything in the world except apparently pressed latinum um yeah. <laughs> monetary currency and like deep space nine in particular um and the synthesizer i assumed was a lot more similar to our 3d printers now where you know maybe you have right, yeah. one that 3d prints food but that's literally all it can do and the other one that you know makes clothing can make clothing but it can't make you know laptops it can't make you know replacement body parts you know that sort of thing I, i'm guessing that's what the difference is because uh, the intro to the episode was was kind of interesting where they show this like lightning storm and all these um geometric shapes these you know very hard edge shapes kind of coming together and growing like the like crystalline structure style and it becomes the the uniform it's kind of an interesting special effect but it, it it did make me think of like a future 3d printer as opposed to the replicator saying oh i can just move atoms around at will and it's totally cool instead of sure, yeah. this plastic yeah. that i'm just squirting around and, and it hardens and becomes a uniform yeah 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 so we were like the, it looked like a storm of some type of it was supposed to be meant to be looking at it at a microscopic level 
available, right? So that's kind of interesting. So I'm not sure how they got that one past the safety uh, board for the uh, ship, but this thing's going to have exposed <laughs> lightning and your every cabin has one. It's going to be fine. Yeah. 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 Well, it's kind of like static electricity, electricity at that level, I guess. Right. So I hope so. Yeah. Well, I kind of, you kind of wonder how they, how, how do they outfit the, outfit the crew? You know, well, clearly they replicate their uniforms. Right. So yeah. Um, makes it easy. And I guess one thing we should mention because, or at least I want to mention, uh, for related to the episode, because I, I assume thematically it'll become more important throughout the series. Uh, but I think I also want to address a, a plot point that I think a lot of people thought was a plot hole. But when you really think about it, it, there's a pretty easy answer. So during the episode, the last will and testament of Captain George, right, yeah, presented, yeah. You know, it's like a duffel bag, like a space duffel bag that, you know, you have to assert that you barely, I accept this thing. And Michael Burnham is at the beginning of the episode, like not ready for it. And, and having, um, what did we say her name was? Lily, the, the, the cadet, uh, having her around was like making it worse. But by the end of the episode, she finally <laughs> accepted and, 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 and moved on and said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and, and take this. And there's a, a message, a holographic message from Captain Trichot that is kind of sad because it clearly was uh, recorded with, you know, happier times between them where the assumption was that by the time she gets this, that Michael Burnham will have become a captain and, and have her own ship. Uh, of course, none of that happened. And she passes along this artifact that has been an heirloom in her family for centuries. And it turns out to be a telescope. Uh, that's something I think that will play sort of going further into, um, you know, the episodes that, that sort of uh, thinking back to times uh, under Giorgio and then like, you know, what would she do sort of things is what I assume is going to happen there. But I want to mm-hmm. pro- address the plot point where people are like, oh, well, wasn't that like on the San Joe and how did it get there? And it's like, wait, wait, hold on. Think about this. Have you ever put anything in a safe deposit box at a bank? Like my car explodes with me in it. I mean, that's really sad, but it's not as if I'm carrying around the last will and testament and heirlooms I'm going to pass down to my heirs like i have it in a safe place so upon well, hang on hang on a safe place hang on hang <laughs> on that telescope she was the both of them were looking through when they were looking in the in the beginning of the of the first episode was it the same exact one that's what i was unclear about yeah i believe it was, it was meant like, to it be it looks it, the same if you even go back you know they have this sort of recap of this is what happened before the very one of the first i just watched it just before we started recording here and the the first scene is is michael burnham looking through the telescope on you know in in uh, uh, the captain's uh, ready room same one like all scratched up and everything because the the one i don't know maybe it's maybe they made a couple of them well it kind of got movie. scratched up when they got <laughs> shot at by a lot of klingons too that's true that's true and singed <laughs> right, and stuff, right. Yeah. I, I assumed it was age but yeah i i guess maybe i thought oh uh it was not the same one um and we'd have to like those aren't sand check. people blasters <laughs> or uh i don't know maybe it's like the sort of thing that's in the uh, captain's emergency escape pod sort of thing so you quick know, grab my telescope see. and get in the shuttle <laughs> yeah quick let me record my last will testament don't exactly. worry i'm sure they won't eat our skulls <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong exactly exactly all right, let's move on to the Orville, since we have a few more minutes before we have to wrap this up. Um, what do you think about the uh, episode called Priya? Well, I, I, I think the connection here is from the, what is it called again? Live and Die in the West, or How to Laugh in the West, or something? A million Ways to Die in the West. Starring Charlize Theron and our hero, right? Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they, they made actually a pretty good couple in that film, uh, and there's clearly some chemistry between the two of them in this episode. I think they actually right, work well right. together. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a 
a fun episode. It definitely, it had some sort of TNG feels to it, you know, both uh, figuratively and literally. Um, I missed the Mr. Potato Head thing. What was what was that reference about? That in, was in when... Practical joking between Gordon and Isaac, but... Yeah, that, that was when Isaac sort of walks into the, the bridge and everybody's staring at him wondering why he's got these Mr. Potato Head parts much larger than, you know, than the normal toy would be, but it clearly intended to be Mr. Potato Head, but he's got these parts on his, his head and he apparently doesn't right. notice that they're there and it turns out that uh, when he was uh, recharging or, or whatever the equivalent is of a sleep, uh, Gordon, you know, put those things on him and, and it revealed some more about him, right? That uh, those blue eyes that we see are actually more just like superfluous LEDs that are meant for like our our benefit to, to give us yeah, uh, yeah. on his face to, to appear more uh, uh, humanoid and instead it, that's not the way it works. Like he, you know, uses sensors like a robot probably would, right? It wouldn't necessarily need uh, optical units in a particular place just like we have. Uh, and that led mm-hmm. to them discussing the whole uh, nature of practical jokes and that right. uh, yeah. he should get it, uh, Gordon back. And he does by amputating his leg during his sleep, which was <laughs> rather horrifying right. to think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is, he does end up earning the grudging respect of Gordon uh, for perhaps the most epic practical joke in, uh, in the history of their, their uh, spaceship. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard to top that one, right? Like that's like the ultimate one that you could do. Yeah. Um, and the leg, of course, making its grand reappearance at one point uh just to break the tension in an otherwise tense scene uh falling from the ceiling is is priceless right right yeah so in this one um, charlie's theron as mentioned plays uh captain priolevesque who is ostensibly a a mining uh ship captain and and, and she gets in danger and the, the the orville's the only ship close by so they go save her and immediately um is it kelly the xo is just like not having it right she's feeling i think because of that chemistry between um priya and captain mercer she's she's already feeling kind of not cool because that's like her ex-husband and she obviously still has feelings for him but she notices that there's like some some weirdness about her and she convinces alara to you know violate the rules and they go investigate this woman's um room on board the ship they discover this weird metallic brick that they don't know what it does comedy happens um they run into a dark matter storm in which case uh priya says oh uh, by the way i know this cool trick by the way uh, let's do this uh, was it like a like a baryon beam or or, or some other uh, techie sounding you know particle beam sweep that Isaac is like oh that's interesting I haven't really heard of that one you know and he's from like a super advanced technology uh, society right and they they hadn't really uh, thought of that but it didn't seem unreasonable to him and they they do it and they, they she pilots them through the whole thing and it turns out that she's actually a antique dealer from the future and they found this right. wormhole that can get them back uh, back through time and she deals in things that uh, would not impact the timeline. And in this case, we discover that the Orville was supposed to be destroyed and everybody was supposed to be dead. So it doesn't really matter from her perspective that uh, why don't I pluck it from the timeline, bring it to the future, sell it to, you know, uh, this weird alien buyer and the crew can go live on their lives in the future. And it's cool. And I thought that was uh, kind of interesting uh, as a setup because it felt kind of like a a TNG setup to me. And Mm -hmm. uh, it also... Also brought in some uh, some technology that we had talked about. Like we talked 
about the fact that they don't have transporters in, in the Orville show, but apparently in the 29th century, where Priya is from, they do have it. She teleports herself right under the bridge during one of the scenes when they're, they're taking over the, the Orville and, and trying to take it through the wormhole. And there's some really cool sort of like special effects while they're doing that that I, I really enjoyed. What's his comment about Isaac died? I must have missed that part. <laughs> so I, I, I need to rewatch the episode because when they're trying to um, when they're trying to disable the little silver brick that she has, the little metallic brick that Priya right. oh, yeah, take over yeah, the ship yeah. and, and over in engineering, um, they use a diamond tip drill to like drill some holes through the casing and then they have Isaac try to use his uh, we saw this in the previous episodes where he has like little I don't know robotic tendrils that come out of his hand yeah. that you know yeah. I guess he like R2-D2 style connects to other things it's like his USB port sort of thing um, and he gets some sort of like feedback shock electric thing that like ostensibly kills him right like the, the chief engineer comes over it's like oh my god there's no, like no activity in his system he's dead um, and I sort of miss the nuance here but it comes out that later on that he has transferred his consciousness over to the ship because he uses right. a reference to the Seinfeld episode uh, within um, I don't know, like the little communications terminal that's on the captain's chair to say like hey uh, would you like a junior mint captain which is a reference to the Seinfeld episode they were watching at the very beginning of the episode that was uh, the whole reason for them to talk about comedy um, and it was a little unclear to me if that was like his iCloud backup or if he had like you know when you move a file from like your local disk to like you know some sort of cloud storage if, if that was what happened that was the part that went a little too fast for me to catch exactly the, the nuance of what happened there yeah i think what uh, i think they mentioned that he um that they did that as a ruse in case she was uh monitoring them i think that they, right. yeah. it was yeah. a, a concoction they were trying to, to throw her off the trail in case she thought they were trying to do some kind of trickery which they clearly were so mm, okay okay so they, they'd set it up there so that he would be out of his own body at the time that that ha- occurred at the yep. time the, the crazy feedback happened okay yeah yeah you're right it was very very much like a sort of star trekky kind of wormhole time traveling episode where you know they have these kind of conundrums yeah yeah, yeah. and they, they end up destroying the wormhole um which leads to some sort of interesting possibilities as to what happens with time because there's a standoff between priya and and mercer where she's like look you you were supposed to die you can come live in the future everything's much better um if you destroy the wormhole then i'll have never been able to come back here and you're basically just going to be like that dude who's still hung up over his ex-wife do you want to be that loser um <laughs> he takes her transporter like her little I don't know, gadget and he puts it in his desk so we can't actually see what happens to that but she disappears when they destroyed the wormhole right sort of implying that oh she was never actually able to go back but the look on his face implies to me that this crew still remembers what happened so i'm a little unclear as to how the mechanics of this sort of timeline change works well do they remember what happens or because we never do see that at the very end of it they destroy it i would assume that the transporter thing would disappear as well as her right it'd be interesting to see if that pops up in a future episode because uh yeah that's true yeah, yeah i think that, that 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 has to be a kind of if you see him put it in a drawer you kind of kind of think it's going to make a comeback at some point it's 
Marty McFly's girlfriend sleeping on the front porch between Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was very purposeful that they showed him putting it in the drawer so we couldn't see what happened to leave the writers and right, out to right. use it. Because they could have just had it on the desk and, you know, she could have disappeared and it could have disappeared at the same time. They could have done the same effect. So we'll end up seeing what, what ends up happening with that. Yeah. Then we'll start yelling and screaming at the TV. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of discussions on Reddit. They'll be like, well, this is how it could happen. But then you start getting into weird things like, you know, if you start analyzing um, the finale of TNG, all good things as to, well, could the Pasteur and the Enterprise really have seen that stuff if time's supposed to work backwards for the anti-time thing? So good fodder for discussion online, I think. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's leave that there. Let's look at uh, some of the things we want to see in the next little bit. So you've got three things here, Jaime. In your tradition of, of having one pick, you've put three down here, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> they all happen to, to, to come out. Um, one was uh, the YouTube trailer for a series that you had told us about, the uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which is an anthology series that's going to be coming out on Amazon Video right. relatively soon. And so it looks pretty cool. It has a lot of people you'll recognize. Uh, Brian Cranston is probably the, the biggest star I happen to notice when they showed uh, some of their previous scenes. So if you're interested... Yeah, it's quite kind a few of, stars. So is this going to come out all at once on Amazon Video, or is it going to come out in... Do they release them in... Because in, here it's going to be on the Space Channel, the same station that's showing um, the Star Trek stuff. But uh, are they going to release these all at once on Amazon, do you think? I don't know for certain, but given the way that Amazon has tended to release all of its episodes at once for a season, the way that they do on the Netflix side of things, I'm going to guess they'll probably release them all at once, but it would not surprise me if they did it discovery style where they do one per week, you know, sort of stretch it out a little bit. And they did, sure, well, they did do that. Uh, Amazon did do that with um, their uh, their version of Grand, Top Gear Grand, Grand Tour. They yeah. did that week by week and they actually split up the season of uh, The Tick, which is actually a lot of fun. Um, they, they actually split that into two chunks. So they, they have a couple of different models they might uh, they might take with that. Mm-hmm. So the tick is on Amazon video. All right. I have to go over there and watch that then. Uh, and you know, the next one you have here, Hamid? The next one I have is a sequel. This is the official trailer for Pacific Rim Uprising. You might have remembered this film a couple of years ago. It was essentially yeah. uh, an unbranded Neon Genesis Evangelion where people in big robots fight big monsters, uh, kaiju in their parlance here. Uh, this takes place some, I think, unspecified time, and I might be wrong, maybe they said in the trailer, but this essentially follows the uh, the son for Idris, uh, Idris Elba's character, um, and apparently the, the kaiju are back, and I'm going to eat popcorn and watch big robots smack monsters in the face with, you know, <laughs> <laughs> with, you know, building pieces and their crazy swords, and they're probably going to pick up, you know, uh, more uh, battleships and, or, or cruise ships and stuff and smack things in the face, so it, it'll be a lot of fun, I hope. Oh, that's the point of that movie. I didn't get through the first one at all. I just halfway through, I just kind of went, "This is pointless." But I guess it's it's a thing. And you're, I guess in reminiscent of the old Godzilla and um, all those kind of Japanese Ultraman and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, you sit, you sit back, you you get your popcorn, and this is the sort of thing you do after you've had like a long rough day, and just uh, I'm sure there'll be some plot. I'm sure it may or may not make sense, but boy, oh boy, will it be fun to watch the accent scenes? Yeah, mm-hmm. that that is why they invented 3D movie going to watch giant monsters battle giant robots that, that, that i i'm with you jaime I, I like that movie i thought it was a lot of fun it was just exactly what you need with a big bag of popcorn it's just silly over the top you know the best of of uh of that stuff and apparently it was set in 2025 so the, the not distant future we could have jaegers oh, right <laughs> is there a waiting list can i get it on a waiting list is it is it like an iphone release? <laughs> can i get a jaeger it's like a tesla probably that's it 
<laughs> I think Elon Musk is working on Jaegers right now, so we could get those. And you got, you got more, one more there, Jaime? Moving well to Jonathan's. The last one here is Replicas, a movie that is, this is the movie trailer for a movie coming out starring Keanu Reeves, which in the pre-show we're uh, describing its similarity in some respects to, do we say surrogates? The yeah, surrogates. Film, yeah. Right, where, um, oh my gosh, from Die Hard, uh, Bruce Willis, where Bruce Willis is, you know, is in a society where people sort of live virtual lives, you know, connected into like a matrix type thing and remotely sure. controlling, um, yeah. you know, avatars, robots, uh, bodies that, that live in real society. In this case, it's but kind of... Replica movies is completely different because it's Keanu Reeves, not Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's sort of like the reverse mode where um, he's sort of researching like how to transfer human consciousness. So it kind of reminds me of Transcendence, I want to say it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a little bit of Pet Cemetery in, in here where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he's working on his technology his uh, wife and kids are you know killed in a car wreck of some sort and he transfers their consciousness into these android bodies um and, and there on go goes the plot and, and people have joked and said like maybe this is like a prequel to john wick if you've ever seen that uh, action movie where his, yeah yeah his wife is killed um uh, but it, it seems like it could be interesting uh, at least from what i saw on the trailer i didn't see any obvious warning signs so uh, something to be excited about perhaps yeah so Jonathan, you got something for us this week? I do. Uh, so I, as as we talked about last week, I'm, I'm digging into the uh, new comics pile for you, and I have a recommendation. Uh, the issue of Savage Dragon. We talked about Savage Dragon uh, last week in the corrections. So Savage Dragon comic book that's been going on for a very long time, uh, 20 years-ish, um, from Image Comics. Uh, the creator, Eric Larson, was here in town for uh, Fan Expo Canada in uh, the beginning of September. And... Uh, uh, his new issue uh, is set in Toronto, uh, and he made some headlines last month. Issue 226 had uh, Donald Trump on the front cover. He was he was uh, demanding that all the aliens get out of uh, America, and, and in this case, he means literal aliens as opposed to figurative or uh, or illegal aliens, as he's been known to target. Um, so, in, in this latest issue of Savage Dragon, they decide to uh, pack up and move to Toronto. Uh, uh, the the dragon and his uh, his uh, girlfriend and the kids. Uh, so they pack up and they hit the border. And so it's uh, a whole very funny uh, look at you know a clash of of a ca- American and Canadian culture. They're freaked out about the metric system. Uh, they discover uh, Labatt's blue and uh, there's a great great line. They eat at Burgers Priest, of course, as as you should if you're going to come to Toronto. They uh, they make a big joke about the fact that uh, the giant space needle looking building uh which is of course the cn tower and how it probably has a very overrated and expensive rotating restaurant on the top uh which <laughs> well yeah uh, Wait, does your version have that too yes yes it does <laughs> it does but uh yeah again it's just it's 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 just a fun trip especially for people who are familiar with toronto a there's lots of little references and jokes lots of little uh, little tidbits in there and uh clearly mr larson had a very good time when he was in toronto because it um, it uh, helped inspire his latest book and uh yeah should definitely pick it up image comics is out next week uh, for the low price of uh four bucks oh, that's not bad and oh, the issue before if, you, if you're if you're not a fan of uh of the u.s president the issue before is a delightful satire eric larson has always set his uh savage dragon comics in the contemporary world so he had uh obama in the past he's had george w bush he's had uh lots of cameos and in, in real world events and uh and of course trump was just too tantalizing a target for him not to uh include him in the book and uh, 
uh, and of course that leads to this. So. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. So, hey, um, hi, May. If people want to get a hold of you on interwebs, wherever they look, I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. Right, and Jonathan, if people want to find you, uh, I am at JPK News and JPKComics.com. All right, and as I said at the top of the show, I am Timitra T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine, and that's how you get a hold of me. All right, so we'll uh, see you guys next week. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spockcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Oh, is that a new? That's the new, uh, the new um, Bruce Willis knockoff, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see why you say that. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Yeah. Where they like all uh, live like replicas? Lives, right? They're like they're like <laughs> simulacrum or something like that. I don't know. They all have like these virtual bot. I mean, they have like robot bodies that they virtually connect to. Yeah, that was a good movie. I like that one. That was. Um, oh, let's get the IMDb database going here. Sorry, what movie? I, I just surrogates. <sighs> Surrogates, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. wasn't even here for the conversation. I nailed it. I know. He just totally like. Well, that's why I sort of said when he when when I saw this replicas thing, I thought Bruce Willis, you know, knockoff already, right? Yeah. To be fair, you and I could get Bruce Willis to be in a movie, so you know. What's that? The, for like ten million dollars, you can get Bruce Willis to be in any movie at this point. Oh really? Collective. Oh. I think he's got uh, I don't know alimony payments or irresponsible children. Right. He's got to put his kids through university. Hey, yeah. um, are you like sitting close to your microphone? I'm not because I'm trying to figure out oh. this uh, push. See, you got me doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Looking at your notes. Uh, implausible central plot point made plausible. Have you seen the movie yet? I have not seen the movie. No. Oh, good. So Jonathan, I get to talk about it without spoiling a single thing. That's going to be really <laughs> Is that even possible? Because there was something. It is. It is possible. There was something yeah, in the I news today about, like, I guess it didn't open that well. Um, really? No, it didn't. Oh. And, and they were like, well, maybe it's because we didn't spoil every every darn plot point like the way every other movie does and yeah well i don't know i don't know if they did that necessarily it was uh it was good i mean think about this i was thinking about what you said last week about your girlfriend have not having not seen the original blade runner mm-hmm. i don't know that you necessarily need to see the original blade runner to get the whole thing yeah no know? i think it stands up pretty well by itself i think, I, I think it was an enjoyable science fiction movie if there aren't i mean compared to something like uh like episodes well we'll have to talk when all callbacks like i i felt like Blade Runner at least was you didn't have to have seen every frame of the first one to just enjoy it as a film. Yeah, no, it was a good film. I thought. Yeah, 
but 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 you know again i'm not surprised i mean blade runner tanked at the at the box office the first time around yeah and and you're right they totally hyped the hell out of it right to be fair it did not tank it won the box office it was the highest grossing movie of the weekend it just didn't oh did it really it didn't no no i mean i'm talking about the original one no no the original one tanked this one yeah 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 no the original one did well look what it had to compete against tom or tom cruise and what else it it which had been out for a few weeks right yeah no i mean the mountain movie you know less than 40 million bucks and they were expecting 50 anyway we shouldn't be saying this when you're not leaning into the microphone again i keep turning my head to try and figure out this i can't figure out this app i'll figure it out for next week I'll yeah don't worry about to it cough deeply into this uh this one that's fine yeah <laughs> okay are you close to your mic now i am close to my mic now is that good When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.